Welcome to another episode of today's lesson, a Nick Cave podcast. I'm Andrew. And I'm Sean. And we saw you from across the bar and we're wondering if you wanted to join us. Come on over. Have a drink. Have a drink with us on this expedition through the title track from this album, Your Funeral, My Trial. Sean, how you doing? You know, Andrew, I'm I'm feeling good. I'm feeling great. Uh, how about you? I'm feeling great. I'm feeling good. I am so excited because Nick Cave just announced there is a second B-Sides and Rarities collection coming soon, coming in October. And uh yeah. What? Lots more fun songs uh, for us to maybe talk about at some point down the road. Um, And there is going to be a special uh, vinyl collection with the original set of B-Sides and Rarities, which are songs, uh, a lot of them I hold very dear. Hell yeah. So excited. It's a great album. He's given us more content to cover way ahead of time, but I love it. He knew we were coming. He Keeping us fed. Keeping our bellies full of good Nick Cave songs. Sean, want to get right into the music for this song? Hell yeah, let's do it. What uh, what do you got for us, Andrew? Who's playing on this track? Well, this uh, this track is the usual suspects uh, for the most part for this album, except we got some bass from Barry Adamson, uh, you know, mainstay from the last couple albums. Uh, he plays on the first of only two songs on this album. Um, the rest of the bass is Mick Harvey. I really like his bass on this song. Yeah, yeah, no, it's fantastic. This song, this song has such a good backbone between the between the bass and the piano. Um, it's slow, it's steady, but it thumps. Absolutely, it feels kind of dirge-like uh, yeah. to me. Yeah, and it, it, it's it's got that low kind of. A little, little muddy, but uh, when it hits the high notes, that bass really soars. Um, yeah, and against the piano and the the high organ, uh, which is played by Nick himself, it's, it feels really, really good and about as honestly about as gothic as as Nick Cave really gets uh, to me. Yeah, absolutely. I love I love that you called it a dirge. It, it almost feels like the piano and and everything every every downbeat is being dragged along like against its will and it's just this yes. this like slow shuffling to the end but it's so it's so forceful it's so full um it's a great merger of what they're becoming and that those goth roots uh, i hadn't thought about it before but this is you're right about as gothic as they get yeah and, and and it keeps that 
it has that real simple four four you know this this song for the most part is in a standard time signature but and yeah it keeps that slow dirge style with different instruments at different times but it does have these little breaks you know doffed her weeds and, and we'll get to it when we talk about it uh lyrically but it the song kind of breaks down at these really important moments um and hits this little you know off time uh five eight little breaks that i think uh vary the song quite a bit because the song doesn't really change a whole lot other than that yeah no those little uh melancholy swing interludes where they, yeah. they just bring that in just slower than you ever hear it and it, it's weird saying it's swing like but it is it's it's hitting it um hitting it on those dun, dun, dun. like yeah it just yeah. it really does swing yeah so yeah musically musically pretty straightforward i think we can probably hop right into the lyrics here um and it begins with a pretty straightforward line that uh, I actually learned was from a nursery rhyme. So let's let's look at this. I am a crooked man, and I've walked a crooked mile. And uh, I knew I had heard this somewhere before, but uh, <laughs> did you know it was from a nursery rhyme, Andrew? I did, and I had a uh, book as a kid that had this crooked man in his... Uh, he, I believe he had a crooked fence. Yes. Um yeah, it was uh, illustrated in great detail. And it, it sounds very creepy. That sounds like it'd be a terrifying book. It, um, it is. And yet, I think Cave one-ups it. Ab- absolutely. If there is ever a crooked frontman for any band, I think Nick Cave fits the description. <laughs> um, but just just for reference, the, the poem is, a Crooked Man Went a Crooked Mile, Found a Crooked Sixpence, He Has a Crooked Cat, Caught a Crooked Mouse, and They All Live Together in a Little Crooked House. Um, this all to say that this first line introduces us to a character who I don't believe thinks very highly of himself, no matter how you're reading crooked, um, could mean deformed. It could mean corrupt. It could mean, you know, any number of things, uh, a zigzaggy kind of man. Exactly. A, A zigzag man who could be a horror movie villain. Um, but looking into the poem a little bit, the history actually speaks, I won't go into too much depth, but, um, some Scottish-British declaration that was signed way back in the day by a man named Alexander Leslie uh, that guaranteed Scotland religious and political freedom. And people often think this is about him being a crooked man because the crooked house represents the the um, tenuous relationship they then had. They had to live together in this house that was pretty fucked um, in the way it was built, uh, which in this context leads me leads me to believe right off the bat that this man is at, at kind of at war with himself um, is not happy with himself uh, in a way that denotes inner struggle uh, is what I'm getting from that Andrew is that is that too far off base no I love it I mean I, I wouldn't have picked up on on that stuff uh, but yeah very much so and I, especially with the rest of the song I do definitely uh, take it as more of a I guess self-deprecating uh, comment, but definitely does not feel crooked as in corrupt to me in terms of some of the other crooked characters we've we've met in these songs. Fair enough. Fair enough. I'm I'm very interested to hear your opinion later on because I'm I'm torn on this song. Um, oh, me it, too. Yeah, I might change my mind completely. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see where this goes. Um, Moving on to the to the rest of verse one, night, 
the shameless widow doffed her weeds in a pile. Andrew, what do you make of this one? Well, we, we've we been introduced to our second character here uh, as such, Knight. Um, and, and I do want to go back to the music a bit. This song feels very forlorn and, and definitely has a, a nocturnal vibe to it. Yeah. Um, maybe I'm informed by the lyrics a bit on that, but I, I really uh, feel like this goes well with that. Yeah, um, but absolutely. what I, what I would, what I'm envisioning here, and a lot of this has to do with stuff later on that's informed this, but I'm envisioning, you know, night as almost someone just approaching the speaker, you know, doffing her weeds, uh, metaphor for clothing or whatever, and you know, trying to lure the speaker in. Now, I don't know that that's 100% borne out in the text, but that's visually, that's what I see here. 100%. No, and the luring is, I think, very important because that's a a big part of this character. And we've seen this in other characters so far is that they kind of understand what it is they're doing, but there's always an excuse. Uh, They they shy away necessarily from Mm -hmm. full culpability or guilt. And again, informed by, by verses to come, but also seen right here, it does feel like the speaker is accepting that he's not the best kind of person, but is is often making excuses or, or sin, seeing someone else as dragging him along into those situations. And so here, uh, Knight being a shameless widow, he's insulting her in a way, coming from immediately taking shame in something he's done and then saying, oh, but this person, they're shameless. Um being a widow and removing her clothes and and actually it's not just her clothes a widow's weeds are actually victorian era uh dresses of mourning they're the big flowy black dresses and hats that widows used to wear um, when they were sad about their husbands dying Uh, boom there you go yeah so again big in the night thing um doffing those those night-like clothes and probably come back to this but i see i see this as kind of a um foil tonight as well because when somebody takes their clothes off they're bare and so it's not necessarily this you know blackly dressed figure anymore it's, it's this naked person um which may play in later to some theories i may or may not have about light and dark and the battle between night and day uh, <laughs> <laughs> um but yes he he feels a great deal of shame and and you know self-loathing and and sees this person whoever it is as feeling very little and from the music and from the intonation when he delivers these lines, it, it feels, uh, it feels biting. It feels like he's attacking the person in, in a subtle way to me. Yeah, I, I could definitely see that. I, it, if so, I would say it's pretty subtle, but I also get in that attack, you know, the shameless widow. Yeah. I do kind of get this feeling that with the delivery and stuff, he, he is the one that is feeling shame and by comparison maybe the widow is shameless i don't know it's just kind of a and maybe attack was the wrong word it's, it's more like uh, a low hum of resentment is what i get yeah. from this yeah um for whatever reason he has to feel shame and she doesn't have to um, yeah definitely yeah and to go back to to the uh crooked comment that i made about um him not being corrupt like that that doesn't mean that if this is that sort of uh, resentment, that that's excusable at all. I just think um, that 
any of this malice he's feeling, at least in these early verses, it does feel like a reflection of him being unhappy with himself. Absolutely. Absolutely. The, uh, the root of anger is sadness. And he feels like a man who has something going on tumultuous inside. Mm-hmm. Tumult, tumultuous, Jesus. Tumultuous. Uh, tumultuous. Tumultuous. Word of the day. Moving on to the next verse. The stars all winked at me. They shamed a child. Your funeral, my trial. There we go. There's the line. Mm-mm-mm. Love it. Love it. Titular R- line. Boom. Titular line Alert. on the titular track. Wee wee. Yeah. From from here, you know, I think we're getting more night play. Uh, we're bringing celestial bodies back into the mix. Seen that on Saint Huck and Moon is in the gutter, and now we're dealing with stars and they're winking. These stars are, you know, coming alive and looking down <laughs> and perhaps giving a knowing wink to this man. And with that wink, shaming a child. Andrew. <laughs> um this sort of speaks to this kind of this inner tumult if you will this inner uh conflict that the the speaker seems to be having he is whether this is by some form of arcane magic whether this is the doing of the widow <laughs> whether this is all in his head which seems you know the most likely he is personifying basically the night around him and it feels like it's mocking him um maybe mocking his performance uh mocking maybe his looks if if you know we are to take the crooked man kind of thing probably too literally but um to me it it those two lines together feel like he most likely is you know, embarrassed and, and embarrassing himself and has created this sort of projected voyeurism um, where he is almost outside himself, uh, mocking himself. That's kind of what I get from those two lines, at least. How about you? Um, I'm more the arcane magic route. I believe the stars have come to <laughs> life and are actually following him. It's it's horrifying stuff. The old gods have returned. <laughs> That's right. A billion eyes watching his every move. No, I, I, you're spot on. I mean, that's that's exactly it, I think, is that it's whatever inner guilt and inner fear and inner paranoia that he has now, um, even under cover of night, he's being watched. And calling back to other songs, you know, we've seen that the moon as an impartial observer, uh, the celestial bodies, you know, hanging out in the sky as an eye or, or some sort of just, you know, light in the darkness, illuminating what's going on below. And here we move towards them more being... Uh, a vessel for this man's insecurities and for his paranoia to take form and and shame him in the night and his reference to himself as a child is is an interesting way to uh, offer a counter to the crooked man because obviously child is young child's innocent child is all these things and um, I think perhaps here above all a child is ignorant and so this might be a, a form of throwing his hands up and trying to deny culpability and saying, how can you shame me? Uh, I, I don't know any better, is what I'm getting from that. Interesting. Okay. Which might be I kind like of a it. reach. There's not much else here except the word child. But um, I, I don't think this is a third character, per se. No, for sure. Yeah, I, I'm 100% there. And uh, I mean, this song 
This song kind of has a similar thing to the Carney where, I mean, this is much more abstract, don't get me wrong. The Carney seems to be a pretty, you know, you can take that one more at face value than most things, but they both sort of are in the opposite direction, but accomplish the same goal of making it really fucking hard to identify <laughs> what we should be, you know, kind of addressing it, but... Um, this one is just so ambiguous in so many ways, even though the, the title of the song seems to indicate something specific. And I, I, I don't think there is an overreaching here. So I, I really, uh, yeah, I like that reading. That's, that's what I've loved about this going through is this is kind of the first one where listening to it casually before this, I felt like it was, oh, he fucking killed somebody. Who cares? Um, <laughs> But digging in, there's this is perhaps the most ambiguous thing yet. Um, I think it is. Uh, yeah, unambiguously the most ambiguous song we've talked about. There thus it far. is. And so, coming to the titular line, whose funeral is it? I got nothing. <laughs> um, I would like to uh, answer that at the end of the song. Well, there you go. Let's keep moving. And right now, I think that. No, I'm just uh, Sorry, you were saying verse two. Verse. <laughs> Moving right along to verse two, we'll get to the bottom of this with minimal interruptions. That's right. Please stop. We have a time limit. We have a schedule to keep. Um. I it's his trial. I can definitively say that. The speaker, I believe, is the one that's going to be on trial. Anyway, mm. yes. Moving on to verse two. Wait, if I may. Yep. Grooving on to verse two. <laughs> one thousand Marys lured me into gullies damp with clover. Bird with crooked wing cast its wicked shadow over. So Mary is back in the picture. We, we saw her in Sad Waters, but it seems that this time he has constructed or they have just landed in some fashion and um, surrounded him. There are a thousand of her, which is terrifying in its own right. And they're luring him into gullies that are full of clover. And I believe this is literal and there's nothing more to say about it. <laughs> no, well, I, I'm... <laughs> <laughs> I kid, I have too much to say about it. So digging in a little into this, uh, Mary, we have the biblical connotation. We we have, you know, not much more than that, but the sad water reference, uh, a woman of, yes. of his affection who, you know, he loves, but perhaps is distant in some way and pulling away a melancholy lover uh, in memory in the past. And this seems to imply that there are, you know, thousands of these Marys in his life, be they, you know, direct relations, perhaps ex-lovers, or just objects of his affection. Uh, a thousand is a little much. But uh, they've all lured him in one way or another into gullies filled with clovers. And so this line, I like after digging into it, because I was like, what the fuck is the significance of clovers? Uh, <laughs> looking at things biblically, as we often do, uh, a clover was actually used by Eve as a reminder of paradise. I didn't know this, but when, when she was cast out with Adam from the garden, she actually took a clover with her as a reminder of what used to be. And so that's where kind of the significance of clover came from. 
since then it's you know the three leaf clovers saint patrick was said to have used it to describe the holy trinity and a four leaf clover is lucky because it looks like the cross but the original is is this glimpse or the shadow of paradise that was taken when uh, adam and eve were cast out and so gully's damp with clover gully being a ditch you know this guy for whatever reason women lead him to lay in ditches you know drink too much just always down in the gutter the moon down there with him uh yes very reminiscent uh these first well yeah all of these lines uh at the beginning of verse two feel very uh knowingly referential to past uh cave ideas for sure yeah absolutely and so i just love the idea of this guy you know time and time again brought with the promise of of paradise this shadow and this glimpse of of what man used to have uh lured by these marys to just continuously fall over and over and over again into uh into the ditch and so i feel a little bad for him right now but again it's a character i think explaining why he is the way he is and and really projecting that that fault onto others for his own guilt yeah definitely no i i like all of that uh we found similar stuff in regards to the clover um the thousand marys it could be you know all these different vices as he sees them or different yeah uh experiences or people could be the same mary leading him a thousand times too ambiguous to to really uh come to a conclusion on that but just wanted to offer that um yeah, yep. yeah gullies uh, in addition to just being uh damp with with this uh religious imagery uh, clover, it, <laughs> yes also kind of just feels very peaceful uh feels like uh, you know if it's damp with clover it's probably almost like a bed like a soft something something underneath to sort of break your fall and then gullies you know he's at a low point he's you know feeling maybe like he's sinning or something maybe closer to closer to hell um i've seen valleys uh be used uh biblically and otherwise to represent fertility don't necessarily see fertility here but maybe the act of becoming fertile yeah if you again want to dig into it too deeply the dampness of fertility Mm -hmm. my my new book oh a uh, bird with crooked wing cast its wicked shadow over, uh, you know, kind of feels we've already had crow imagery on this album and we certainly had it on the last uh, album. It feels to me like it could potentially be him, you know, maybe seeing seeing this bird casting its shadow, not looking quite right. Maybe it's his own insecurities or his own uh you know, mental state that he recognizes again, projecting like the stars. Yeah. Um, otherwise, I mean, I just think it's really beautiful, beautiful imagery. He's seeing the, he's seeing all these scenes that we've encountered so far and, and this will continue. So don't, I, I don't want to jump ahead too far, but it seems like there's all these really beautiful things happening and he is only able to project really horrifying things on them like that like yeah. someone else could be like yeah i'm going into this uh valley not a gully and uh i'm gonna you know 
consummate my relationship with a person and there's birds overhead and the stars are all out like i don't know could yeah. be, could be an interpretation no and i think that fits well with the projection of his own inside um sorry i think that fits well with his own projection of paranoia and and whatever's going on in his head because he's he's projecting on this otherwise like you said beautiful scene i had never thought about that but these this could all be reframed in a way that's actually really nice <laughs> yeah and i think yeah. it's maybe that falls down a little bit in verse three other than a couple pieces but and that's the most like basic interpretation i think you could have of of the song without digging into the biblical stuff or perhaps even freudian or oedipal kind of stuff um you know the idea of mary uh in a biblical sense but um, and i'm going to apply a little science here because uh, this is the first ooh. that we've we've seen of the hard science of augury like pretty much called out directly the auspices of a bird uh that's usually how people used to uh tell what the fuck the signs meant was the shadow the bird cast when it was flying uh which is of course definitely not a projection of anyone's own feelings or thoughts and <laughs> and a hard science that this man is following but no I, I think that fits perfectly with that is this this ancient form of fortune telling that he's using to to it just happens to align with all this shit that he feels about himself um self-determination uh you know often i think guides us to draw certain things from fortune and in your uh You've been on it with the augury references. I think at this point it's undeniable that Cave uh, used this, uh, did augury constantly. He is he is no, an but, augur, <laughs> but he clearly is knowledgeable of it, and and I think uh, very intentional of his use with it. Yeah. Um, finishing out verse three here, the bauble moon did mock and trinket stars did smile. Your funeral, my trial uh closing out here with you know the just more description of the night sky it feels like the the bobble moon did mock though is again these celestial bodies watching overhead taunting him and calling it a bobble moon i didn't know this but bobble means not only trinket but used to be the the rod that jesters would use when they danced around and <laughs> and fucked around in court and so this this really feels like he's going further with the stars and the moon and and seeing them as you know a, a jester's outfit dancing around and and poking fun at him and i don't think he appreciates that much that's true we should bring jesters back into the court system here in america <laughs> I, it's about time uh, court reform court reform <laughs> the first jesters reinstated hey we've already got enough of them in the supreme court am i right <laughs> Um, no, that's that's a great point, and I think does uh, continue that through line of him, uh, of our speaker, projecting certain bad things on on things that could be beautiful. Stars are out, moons out. Um, if it's a bobble moon, feels like maybe a full moon, and we'll see maybe that change as we go. Um, mm. But yeah, I really, uh, I really just think. I mean, I, I can wait to get into this later, but I just after verse two, I have to say, in terms of, of even just reading it on the page, listening to it in the song, 
not even necessarily diving into interpretation. Some of my favorite lyrics he's ever done, for sure. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, it took a really, it took this intentional reading. Uh, for me, I'd never thought anything of this song, really, especially not lyrically. Um, but this, the, I mean, these are just fantastic. It's it's vague. It's metaphorical. It it still tells a coherent story, and it all hangs together just so well. I mean, there's there's so much reference. It's so thick. It's just yeah, I I would agree with you there. In reference, you don't necessarily even need. No. Like if you know if if you know what a trinket is, you can kind of deduce some of the you know, what a bobble is, um, they're often used in tandem, but that extra, you know, step of reading and, and finding out about, yeah, of course it would mock, you know, or, or the thing with the Marys and Clover, like, these are, these are just good lyrics without knowing any of that shit, and yet, you know, Cave did the work, and I, I honestly, I think this is one of his best sets of lyrics uh, for his early career, at least, um, or at least it's way up there. 100%. Salute. Salute to Nick Cave. Salute, my friend, Nick. Nicholas Cave. (laughs) Wonderful job, Nick. Anyway, moving on to verse three. Wrapping up the song here uh, with one more beautiful verse. Here I am, little lamb. Let all the bells in whoredom ring. All the crooked bitches that she was. Mongers of pain. Mmm. Mm-hmm. just beautiful <laughs> really sweet <laughs> um and it, it hey it begins sweetly here i am little lamb uh i think might be another uh here i am little lamb it's a it, it's another possible nursery rhyme reference we've got a we've got a mary and a lamb uh depends on i guess who the lamb is and why the lamb is there and and all sorts of stuff about the lamb but it, it does begin nice and then all of a sudden, let all the bells in whoredom ring. I had to, I definitely had to look up that word. I didn't know exactly what he was saying because I don't know if that's actually a word. <laughs> we, we we have an idea what the word means. I just, yeah, I thought it, he was maybe saying a place. And I was yeah. like, oh, that's what he's saying. Yeah, I thought he, I was saying, thought he was saying a hoder or didn't think Hodor. it was a Game <laughs> of Thrones reference, but possibly a hodor <laughs> or maybe that came from somewhere. But yeah, no, whoredom. Um, so, so moving back a little bit, who do you think the lamb is here? There's a few ways you can take it. The first one I, I, I would look at is he's, he has led someone, um, to this place in the night. Let all the bells and whoredom ring could be this initiation of someone, um, which sort of is borne out in the text a little later. You see the moon became a fang. So time has passed. Uh, The moon cycle has changed. I like that interpretation. Um, I also like the idea that he is little lamb. Um, it does sound to me more like he's addressing uh, the little lamb, but I also think that based on the prior information, he could be just saying, here I am, and then the you know article is omitted. Here I am, a little lamb, basically. Um yeah. But I don't know. I, I don't know which of those meanings I necessarily think is stronger. I think that the important thing is that he still, regardless of who he's with at this time or who he is, he is still projecting um, negative 
emotions and negative uh, descriptions to things. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I 100% agree with both those readings. That's what I came to is it's either, obviously, either the target of his speech, and I think that there's a great deal of evidence there for that, um, addressing whoever he is approaching as little lamb, and gives a gives another meaning, perhaps, to crooked man, as, of course, shepherds have crooks, um, mm-hmm. guiding them along to something. Could also be himself. I, I believe he's already referred to himself as a child however that could have been a reference to someone else being shamed by his actions and if we're thinking about this in a way you know if he's um you know we we have whoredom here if it's a prostitute and you know he's he's approaching them this whole song kind of recontextualizes for me as a man you know waking up or not waking up but but night falling and him venturing off into the night personifying night seeing that the night is now open to him the the weeds being doffed by the widow night uh as he goes towards whatever it is he's going towards the stars are looking down and shaming him um and perhaps shaming the prostitutes themselves because he believes that what they're doing is shameful but what he's doing is shameful too and you know Mm -hmm. thinking of these past experiences with this um how he's been led astray so many times under the auspices that perhaps his fate is out of his control that you know this wicked shadow has been cast over him and so regardless of of what he tries to do this is just where he's going and this i love it this self-mockery that's let all the bells and whoredom ring i think is is manifold in its meaning because bells are a call to a place bells um nick uses this a lot for for the wedding for the marriage um of two people bells are a warning you ring bells to to tell someone to watch the fuck out all the bells and whoredom you know this is a big warning sign um i think it's this this man who who hates himself and is doing this thing over and over and over again uh finally reaching his destination and seeing himself as kind of a shepherd to at least someone that he believes or thinks is innocent or is is mockingly calling innocent i think this could also have a heavy veil of irony over at this little lamb and oh let all the bells ring it's a big celebration um so that that's kind of where i go to i think that that's deeper than him being the lamb um it also kind of makes me nervous at this point because when you think of lambs biblically lamb (laughs) that the blood of the lamb is often used to cleanse sin and so Although we haven't seen it yet, and I don't believe we see it as an explicit reference, um, I think this is the this is the most unnerving part when it comes to whoever it is he's talking to, because this man is clearly damaged and sees this person as perhaps a vessel for the cleansing blood of the lamb. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the the shepherd and lamb thing is is very. Man, we're gonna see some of that coming soon, but. I do, I think that's a really good reading. I also think that paired with, you know, the idea of, of crooked bitches or mongers of pain, just sort of this idea of, of, you know, this other type of animal, this dog, this wolf, perhaps, even if you want to take it that far, mm. um, in, com- in concert with the lamb, it could be that he... 
know, whether you want it to be he's the lamb or, or someone that he's with is the lamb, or if he's just maybe saying it um, completely ironically, that she was does imply a past tense. And I don't know that I necessarily buy your funeral, my trial being used literally. We'll get to that. Um, but I do buy that something in this person's past, whether it was this initial, you know, shaming or this initial bad experience or whatever that he's coloring all these thoughts with, he's a crooked man now, maybe because of being with this crooked person, perhaps you could extrapolate that. Maybe it's just sort of this history of sort of abuse, however you want to take it. He is framing this, what appears to be a future endeavor entirely within that mindset. Yeah, and I, I think it might even be amusing of the, um, or on the duality of prostitution or just relationships in general um, that yeah. go both ways. The corruption can go both ways. Love can go both ways. And, you know, if you're thinking of whoredom, where that would be a monger of love, um, it is the duality of love that the other side is pain. And so um, he's now seeing in a different light these people who have burnt him over and over and over again. Uh, these women in his life that, you know, lured him with these promises of clover are actually mongers and sellers of of pain and, and turmoil. Love it, love it. Um, good, t- good times, by the way. Just a fun, nothing but fun songs here in the Nick Cave discography. <laughs> That's Lighthearted right. and joyful. Uh, um, yeah, uh, Saw the Moon Become a Fang, kind of talked about that, but the you know, waning and waxing of the moon... Before it was a bauble, you know, trinket, but here it's it's uh, become something much more menacing. It was mocking. Now there's some menace here. And the song ends with your funeral, my trial. Yeah. Yep. Um, that become a fang line. I think that this, if there if there is a damning line in the song, and I'm not even sold on the fact that there is, uh, just, you know, dealing with funerals and, and Nick Cave in general up to this point, this feels like it could be a person raising a dagger in the night and the moon becoming that fang and the moonlight reflecting off of it and that's the end of the song um that said it's there's nothing here that says one way or the other well it's not it's not my chosen reading and i'll get into kind of my interpretation of of the uh, title uh but extremely valid and the image of of a knife being raised i think is I mean, we have had that thought independently, so I know it's in some sense there is, whether intended or not by the uh, the author, we came to a similar conclusion there. I think it's I think it's totally there. Right on. Um, and then yeah, coming to the end of the song, your funeral, my trial. Uh, you know, obviously, like the title of the album, we talked about how it is based on a song that uses that phrase more literally now this could be used that way and interpreted that way for sure and uh, if this were on you know the first two original albums i think i'd be naturally inclined to interpret it that way but for me it's too literal for him to have just taken this song name and used it the same exact way without it being a cover uh, to me for me it feels like mm. yeah someone being with someone that's more uh maybe experienced now we have the 
spells in Hordam line. It could be that it's a prostitute. I think that's totally likely. Um, but whether or not it's, you know, could be just being with someone more experienced in a good way or a bad way, however you want to view that. I think um, for me, it's just about being with someone that maybe leaves an impression on you but you don't necessarily leave an impression on them. Like your funeral, if this is the speaker mm. saying it, you know, this is just, you know, you're going to forget about me. Like your thought of me is going to die. Whereas my trial is, you know, it's something long and protracted, maybe with a jail sentence. Something has, has changed this narrator's thought process and, and, his experience with the world into something pretty negative, and I think maybe he's still going through that trial, even if it's something as simple as a breakup. Um, but that's just kind of my interpretation of it. Oh no, that's that's brilliant. I I hadn't thought about trial as his uh, blind lemon <laughs> Jefferson road of trials. Here it is. No, that's that's excellent. I I really I really like that. That you know the the funeral would be. The death of a relationship, the death of something ambiguous, now he has to live with that. I think the only reason that I didn't huh. jump to a specific interpretation is because he took the title verbatim. Um, but again, that's that's a reach. That's just kind of how I uh, like to think of it. I, w- I wouldn't even call that a reach. I don't think there is reaching on this song. I think there is only reading. Absolutely. Um, we, I, we've gotten a lot of, of fun stuff from this song. Yeah. Absolutely. Fun, in if you, quotes. <laughs> fun. If you thought that was a reach, listen to what I have to say. Um, <laughs> All right. <laughs> so kind of taking it away from the literal as well, I, I don't think that this is meant literally. Um, one thing that really hung me up was was the personification of Knight as a widow. Uh, I think that mm. there was something there, and and I'm stuck on this Greek thing with Nick. And so I know that the who loves to personify shit like the nighttime, but the Greeks um, looked into that. Nyx being the god of night or the goddess of night. Uh, very similar drawings to a widow. She's she's dressed in these, you know, black clothes and weeds. And um, looking into that, shaming a child, I, I just kind of dug into why she would be a widow, who would be her child. And. Nyx was the lover of Erebus, who was the god of darkness. And their their child was Hemera, the goddess of daytime. Ooh, okay. And so, so when you start thinking about shame and the things that people do at night and the temptations, a lot of that is done at night because of the darkness. But if night suddenly becomes a widow, there is no darkness. And so a lot of his walking around underneath these celestial bodies, these stars and moons kind of take away whatever cover night would have afforded him if it's just night and he's always being watched mm. and so these temptations damn. <laughs> i like that quite a bit and so it's um you know the temptations that are provided night doesn't care she's shameless um and so then reading further the the lamb here would would perhaps be the child of mary if we're reading this as you know uh, an allegory for night um, which would be himera the goddess of daytime which would be kind of a metaphor for sins being brought to the light and so the song becomes a man walking through night walking through temptation 
without the cover of darkness, the ability to hide in that nighttime, be that his own paranoia, his own guilty conscience bringing him to task or, you know, things actually watching him. Um, but when he reaches daytime, he's, he's resentful because he's not able to do these things that other people perhaps feel no shame about. And so just kind of gives himself up and says, here I am, you fucking lamb. Uh, let all the bells ring. Hail the joyful day's return. Um, <laughs> he announces his sins because there's never any protection at all. And the death of night uh, is the beginning of his judgment. And so that would be the year funeral, my trial. It's the funeral of darkness. It's the funeral of hiding. It's being brought to the light, at which point his judgment in this trial begins. Boom. And so I'll stand by this. You can even strip away that Greek shit. But just as, you know, this idea that that night and day are lovers, the yin and yang cyclically forever, you know, producing one another, one hiding and one revealing. Um, This could simply be a metaphor for this man's um, conscience eating away at him, tearing away at him for any number of things, for any number of sins that he's committed and is resentful that he couldn't get away with. And now, you know, what those are, whatever, it could be a prostitute, it could be murder. I don't, I don't necessarily think it matters. Um, yeah, it's the temptation of night brought to judgment in the daytime. And that's my reach. I love it. That's a good reach. Um, not, not really a reach in the slightest. I really, really dig that. Um, so so much celestial and night imagery it's hard to yeah let those kinds of readings pass by it's just so there's so much of it in there yeah and and the daytime thing i mean is never explicit at all but uh start thinking about you know what bells ring at night i would say very few that's uh, used <laughs> elsewhere by cave <laughs> hopefully used elsewhere by cave as well too um ring in the day and and ring in new life and all sorts of stuff so i think that might be something there Absolutely. Well, I got to say it, Sean. You know, if you're not going to say it, I'm going to say it. I think we reached 110% um, on this episode. Got through pretty much every possible interpretation. But we would love to hear from you, uh, especially in these instances where the songs are so vague and ambiguous. Let us know what you think. Yeah. What what are you getting out of your funeral, my trial? There, I would imagine, as many readings as there are Marys uh, left to find. And so, if you can if you can bring us that, we'd love 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 to hear it. Uh, and as always, you can reach out to us uh, via email todayslessonpod at gmail Twitter at todayslessonpod. And if you like what we're doing and just want to reach out with your money, you can go to patreon.com slash todayslesson. Always appreciated. That's right. Always appreciated. Five stars wherever you review. Uh, wherever places offer that uh, as the maximum rating. Obviously, if somewhere else offers a different maximum rating, give us more. Um, for next time, you should be listening to Stranger Than Kindness, the fourth track on this record. Sean. Andrew. Until next time. Uh... We Hold on. okay. Okay. What are we doing? What are we, we doing? We love love Nick, Nick Cave. Cave. Thank you. Goodbye. <laughs> Bye.
down.